Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Dad, I'm broke. Hey, broke. I'm Dad. Dad. Okay, don't you have cash saved up from babysitting? No, I spent it. I want my own bank account from S&T Bank. They offer free ATMs, Zelle, and an annual scholarship. Plus, when I open a Smart Start checking account, I get $100. See? I'm responsible. Hey, responsible. I'm Dad. Visit stbank.com slash smartstart for details. Bonus available July 1st through September 30th, 2022. Opening deposit balance of $50 required. Member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime, from unsolved cold cases to historic kidnapping to gangsters and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. I am your host, Larry Lease. And today, on the Cold Case Friday, we're diving into Oakland County child killer and four bizarre unsolved murders. Between 1976 and 1977, the quiet suburbs of Oakland County, Michigan, became the stalking ground for a predator who had become known as the Oakland County Child Killer. There were four gruesome murders of children, with each body posed in the snow. The community was terrorized, and the families of each of the four victims were haunted by the last day they saw their precious children alive. To this day, Oakland County authorities remain baffled, and the killer remains at large. Over the years, police have wondered, was the killer a local pedophile, a local businessman, a drifter, a member of the clergy, or a police officer? Mark Stebbins, age 12, planned on becoming a Marine. Mark was in the 7th grade at Lincoln Junior High and was described as a lovable young child by his mother, Ruth Stebbins. Mark was last seen on February 15, 1976 in Ferndale, Michigan. Mark and his mother were at the American Legion Hall where they were having a pool tournament. Bored, Mark asked his mother for money to go to the local hobby shop, but she said no because she had already given him his allowance. Mark didn't seem upset, but he did ask if he could walk home to watch a movie. She agreed. 
Mark left the American Legion Hall at about noon to walk about three quarters of a mile to his home on East Saratoga. Later that day, Ruth called home to check on Mark but got no answer. When she got home a little before 9 p.m., she found the house empty. When Mark didn't arrive home by 11 p.m., his mother was terrified. She called the police and reported Mark missing. The police said, We haven't had any ki kidnapping in Ferndale in 10 years. Police assumed maybe he was out with friends or possibly a runaway and would turn up soon. Despite thinking he was a runaway, police did conduct a widespread search of Ferndale, checking abandoned buildings, garbage cans, anywhere they could think of. Ruth was terrified. She stayed up all night waiting for Mark. The night he disappeared, quote, I kept hearing noises and thinking it was Mark. The next few days, I sat three places at the table and hoped he would come home. Four days later, on February 19th, businessman Mark Bodeheimer found Mark's body in the snow in a parking lot in Oakdale. Oakdale is a little over two hours northeast of Ferndale. At first, the businessman thought it was a mannequin in the snow, but looking closer, he saw it was a corpse of a child. Mark's body had been carefully placed there, curled up as if he were sleeping near a dumpster. Police said it appeared he had been deceased for less than eight hours. Police at the scene noticed wounds and bruising that led them to believe he was beaten and tied up. There have been two accounts of the cause of death. Some reports state there was a ligature mark around Mark's neck. Others re report he was smothered. It was also reported that he was molested by his killer. Strangely, Mark had been washed by his killer and his nails manicured. His clothes were all washed and pressed. He was then carefully placed at the dump site in the sleeping position. The killer would gain the name Babysitter Killer because of how he left the body as if he cared for him. In hindsight, an error occurred early in the investigation. Police moved Mark's body before the county medical examiner arrived at the scene. His body was also taken to the Southfield Police Station instead of the morgue. In addition, police removed Mark's clothing, which destroyed and contaminated any existing evidence. At the time, the police worked with Dr. Bruce Danto, a psychiatrist who suggested returning to the dump site to lure the criminal back to the scene. Police did as the doctor suggested and placed a child-sized mannequin dressed as Mark exactly where the body had been located. However, police would find a funeral service card for Mark's service at the spot where Mark had been placed. A taunt left by the killer suggesting he had attended the funeral service. Somehow they had missed him. Many people attended the funeral, and Ruth had a chilling recollection. Quote, I didn't recognize everyone who came. I might have been shaking hands with the killer. In the aftermath of Mark's disappearance, Ruth became despondent and too distressed to work. She ended up on welfare. Life was never the same again. Before Ruth died in 2011, she told reporters that every time she heard about a child being murdered, it brought her right back to the day Mark was found. Quote, every time a child had been killed since Mark, it happens to me all over. I still think about it every day. Jill Robinson, age 12, was a little girl who grew up with a deep-seated fear. She had nightmares a man was going to shoot her. I know it's quote crazy, but it feels like someone is going to shoot me, she told her mom, Carol Robinson. In fact, the fear was so persistent, her parents took her to see a psychologist. Jill was a sweet and precocious child, mature beyond her years, and known to challenge her mother at times. Three nights before Christmas on December 22, 1976, her mother was making dinner. Jill got into an argument with her mom because Jill refused to make biscuits with her. Jill was very bright. A friend of the Robinson family said she had what you might call a changeable pre-teenage pre nature. In an ID interview, Carol emotionally recalls telling Jill, quote, 
Well, Jill, if you don't like being here, why don't you just get your coat, stand out in the front yard, and think about it. And when you feel like talking about it, come on back in. Words must every parent has said, but words Carol will regret the rest of her life. Following the argument, Jill packed her blue knapsack with makeup and a blanket. She left her home in Royal Oak, Michigan, pedaling her bicycle down Woodward Avenue. When Jill never came back inside and her mother could not find her, Jill called the police. Initially, the police thought Jill was a runaway. They assumed Jill had gone to her friend's house, maybe even her dad's, as Jill's parents were divorced. But she never made it there. She was last seen at 7.30 p.m. at Tiny Tim's Hobby Center. Because police thought Jill was a likely runaway, the case wasn't worked like an abduction or a lost child. There was no massive search for the little girl, despite her bike being found behind the hobby store the night she disappeared. Police still acted unconcerned. That Christmas, Jill's presence sat under the tree untouched while her family searched for her. On December 26th, everything changed. Jill's body was found by a motorist along Interstate 75, about 20 minutes away from her home in Troy. Like Mark Stebbins, it appeared the killer had staged her. The only difference was Jill was shot in the face with a 12-gauge shotgun that removed half her head. She was fully clothed with her backpack still on. Autopsy results reveal that she may have died of shock and hemorrhage rather than the wound itself. As they taunt the police, Jill's body was laid neatly in the snow within sight of the Troy Police Department. She was fully dressed in her clothing that had been washed and pressed. The autopsy revealed Jill had not been molested. Police had again mishandled the case. Treating Jill like a runaway, valuable evidence was lost. In addition, the state police lab nor the sheriff's department were called to the scene. To this day, police are baffled as to why Jill was shot and the other victims all died of strangulation or being smothered. Did she fight back leading to the heinous murder? Did she tell her deranged abductor of her longtime fear of being shot? Tom Robinson had spent years angry at the police for the way his daughter's case was mishandled. Quote, they won't respond to what they consider a runaway for 48 hours, but she wasn't a runaway. She was a kid who got angry, stomped her feet out of the house, and got picked up by a creep. The family still suffers from Jill's death. It's the small things that get to you. The hardest thing is when someone asks how many children I have, and I automatically say three. I can't believe that now. It's only two. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. And now, Christine Marie Mihalich, apologies for saying her name wrong, age 10, went missing seven days after Jill Robinson's body was found. On January 2nd, 1977, Christine was abducted during broad daylight while walking to the 7-Eleven store near her home in Berkeley, Michigan. Another child was gone. Oakland County went into a panic, and the reality of stranger danger terrified the community. Christine's mother, Deborah Jarvis, relives that day constantly. Quote, Chris was bored, so she asked if she could go to the store to get a magazine. She wasn't usually allowed to cross 12 Mile Road, but she had gone shopping for me earlier, so I gave in. I explained how to go, to wait for the light, and I told her to hurry. She promised she would. When Christine failed to come back home after, an, after a half hour, Deborah called the police. For 20 days, 
Deborah paced the floor frantically, exhausting herself with worry. Deborah kept a 24-hour vigil, waiting for her daughters to come home. She went on the news to beg for her daughter's return. She raised $17,000 to offer a reward fund. None of it would matter. On January 22, 1977, Christine's body was found by postal worker Jerome Wasney on a dead-end road 15 minutes from her home. When police got to the scene, they discovered Christine's body had been carefully placed, just like the other two victims. She had been carried like a parent would carry a child with one arm under their head, the other under their leg, carefully placed in the snow. The killer had closed her eyes and crossed her hands. He then tucked her in with snow, patting it down and leaving handprints. Another bizarre and grotesque murder scene. It was later determined Christine had been smothered, but police never re released what was used. Police also said there were no obvious signs of molestation. However, experts agree it is likely he did engage in some kind of sexual activity with her. Like the last two victims, her body and clothing were washed. Shockingly, the autopsy showed that Christine's kidnapper had killed her less than 24 hours before she was discovered. He had held her captive for 20 days. For Deborah, life never been the same. She described her life as a living hell, but somehow gets a strange comfort knowing the killer didn't kill Christine right away. Chris was a joy, Deborah told reporters. Quote, this is why whoever took her and kept her so long was enjoying her company. At least that is what we have told ourselves, and I prefer not to think any differently. <clears throat> and finally, Timothy King, age 11, was born to Barry and Marion King, and was the youngest of four siblings. He had two brothers, Mark and Chris, and his sister, Kathy. The King family lived in Birmingham, Michigan, in a white-collar professional neighborhood. Timothy was a good kid who loved to play hockey and baseball. His favorite thing to do was to zoom around the neighborhood on his skateboard and frequent the parks where he played sports. He had a paper route and was a responsible young boy who rarely got into mischief. The day Timothy vanished, Timothy P Timothy's parents had gone out to dinner with a client of his father's law firm and figured Timothy could take care of himself for a few hours, since he had sat for other children in the neighborhood. Marion recalled, quote, We decided he could take care of himself, and we weren't going far, or for very long. At about 7.30 p.m., Timothy decided he wanted to go get candy from the local drugstore about three blocks away. He borrowed 30 cents from his sister as she was leaving, and told her to leave the doors open for him. With skateboard in hand, he headed to the store on Maple Road. At about 8 p.m., it is known Timothy left through the rear entrance of the drugstore that opened to a parking lot shared with a supermarket. That was the last time Timothy would be seen alive. This time, there would be witnesses. Two individuals reported seeing Timothy in the parking lot with a shaggy-haired man with sideburns. The man had been standing next to a blue gremlin with white stripes on the side. Police would eventually question every gremlin owner in Oakland County. In 1977, in a New York Times article, task force put together a profile of the killer and described him as someone above average intelligence and education. A white man with a compulsion for cleanliness who is not involved with drugs or alcohol. Possibly a professional or someone in a position of authority that your children would trust and a schedule that allowed him freedom. The killer most likely lived and worked in Oakland County given his familiarity with the area. With all of Oakland County in a panic, Police knew they needed to get Timothy home before it was too late. With the killer previously holding his victims for a few days before killing them, police knew time was of the essence. However, it took two days for police to even release the suspect composite. Barry 
Timothy's father wrote an open letter to the killer that was on the front page of the Detroit News pleading with an abductor to release Timothy unharmed. This effort fell upon deaf ears. In another letter, his mother pleaded for a safe return. Marion stated that when Tim comes home, they would serve him his favorite Kentucky Fried Chicken. The family offered a reward and did everything possible to find him. Late evening on March 22, 1977, two teenagers were driving in a car and spotted the body of a child in a shallow ditch. The body was found 300 feet south of Eight Mile Road in Livonia, only 20 minutes from his home. He was posed, his skateboard was placed next to his body, and his clothing neatly pressed and washed. The autopsy revealed Timothy had been sexually assaulted by an object, rope burns on both his wrists and ankles, and suffocated approximately six hours before he was found. Shockingly, the post-mortem report showed that Timothy had eaten fried chicken before he was murdered. The murderer had kept Tim alive for six days and fed him his favorite meal before killing him. In December 1978, the task force disbanded after spending its $2 million budget, and Michigan State Police took over the case. The killings had stopped after Tim's murder. Police theorized the killer may have left the area, been arrested, or died. Throughout the years, police zeroed in several suspects, some of whom were child molesters. They even exhumed the body of one suspect, but all have landed dead ends. So many mistakes have been made in each of the cases. The system failed all of the children and a killer, if still alive, has lived in our midst for decades, possibly killing others. After Tim's murder, Barry was doing his best and went back to work a few days after his son's funeral. However, Marion found it hard to cope. Timothy's siblings also suffered psychological wounds in years to come. The subject turned into a forbidden subject and no one talked about it at his home. His mother was never the same. During the following 30 years, Timothy's sister, Catherine King Broad, became an attorney, got married, had children, and moved to Idaho. His brother, Mark, became a businessman, moved to the state of Texas, and Chris became an editor and tech writer who still lives in Michigan. We just couldn't talk. My mom was so broken by this. I felt like I could never bring it up. Marion passed away in 2004, never knowing who killed her youngest son and never seeing justice. Barry King remarried Janice, who had been friends with Marion. He still lives in the same home on Yorkshire Road in Birmingham. In his living room, he can find photos of Tim, displayed along with a painting of him in a hockey uniform. Here's a guy who's 85 and he's going to keep plowing ahead and hopes this might help someone remembering something, King's son Chris said. He's a man on a mission and he's going to keep at it. Perhaps the most heartbreaking is the reminder of a gift Tim gave his father. Tim painted a piece of wood that says, Happy Birthday, Dear Dad. Best wishes, Tim. The case was reopened and new leads have been explored as late as 2013. You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. Follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show, buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash True Crime Never Sleeps. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.